Amen. Man, I'm glad to be here. Look at your neighbor to the right and say this good and loud. At first time now, say, neighbor. No, that's pathetic. Come on, that's not a Lutheran church. Come on now. Look to your right, say, neighbor. Say, you're looking so good. Amen. Some of you didn't believe that. All right, amen. All right, look to your left. Look to your left. Say this good and loud. Say, neighbor. You don't look that good, but I love you anyway. Go ahead, right there, amen. Amen. Man, am I, listen, I finally get to come to liberal Kansas. Praise God, amen. I'm excited about being here. I'm excited that my son Braxton, my daughter Brooklyn could be here, my wife Tony Lynn. Uh, we love the Prater family. Uh, every time they come down to our church, they try and call them as pastor. How many say that's wrong? Come on, amen, yes. They have a pastor down there, and it's me. It's not a very good one, but hey, you guys just tell them no, all right? That's the way this works. And uh, we've had your pastor several times at our church, and man, they have blessed us, and God has used them in a mighty way, and I'm very, very grateful for your church. And uh, man, to be able to hear music like this, that's good stuff. Come on, amen. And uh, to be able to be here, and I love my friend Tanner, uh, better known as Barney Fife. Can I get an amen right here, man? Yes. I'm just so glad, glad I could bless this church before I got here. Come on, amen. But uh, really, really excited about your church, where you've been, where you're going. Uh, God's got big stuff in, 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 for you. Now listen, if you'll listen today, uh, I'm going to show you how you can go to heaven. Yeah, man. I'm going to say that again. I, if you'll listen today, I'm going to show you how to go to heaven. I heard about the guy that went to a little small town to preach a revival. And he was trying to find the post office. And he saw a little boy riding his bike by, and he said, son, he said, hey, uh, could, could, could you tell me how, how I could make it over to the post office, how I can get to the post office? He said, oh, yeah. He said, you go down this road, two blocks, take a left, go three blocks, take a right, and he said, the post office will be right there. He said, son, do you know who I am? He said, no, I don't know who you are. He said, well, I'm the preacher. I'm, I'm here in town, and uh, if you'll come tonight, he said, I, I'll show you how you can go to heaven. And the boy said, no, thanks. He said, he said, you don't want to go to heaven? He said, pal, you can't get to the post office, much less heaven. I said, amen, yes, yes. <laughs> get your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 2. Would you do that? Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, as we look today at when the thrill is gone. Hey, when the thrill is gone. Revelation chapter 2 in your Bibles. And I want us to begin in verse 1. And we're going to read down through... Verse 7, Revelation 2 verse 1 says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them and say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. When you come to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you're reminded that there are seven letters that are being written to seven different churches that are in Asia Minor. John picks up a prophetic pen, and not only does he write to those churches in that location, but he also writes to us now. God's Word is an amazing thing when it can take not only uh, 2,000 years ago and write to a church then, but He's also writing to you here at the Fellowship Baptist Church, but He's also writing a message to individual Christians, to people who say they know Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. You see, the number seven is a number of perfection, meaning it's a message to the complete church. And it's a personal message, not from John on the Isle of Patmos, but praise God, it's a message from the Lord Jesus Christ. The instructions not only exhorted them then, but the instructions also exhort us now. The first one to have received one of those letters was the church at Ephesus. And what was amazing about Ephesus was they were 60 miles away from the great city of Patmos. Patmos was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It had magnificent architecture and all kinds of art and all kinds of refinement. It was considered in their day and time to be a cultured city. But on the back side of Patmos, there were some very wrong things. There were some very bad things. And those very bad things had now made their way over to the city of Ephesus. You see, being 60 miles away, they now saw that religion and magic were being mixed together. In the midst of that city was what was known as the Temple of Diana. And all around it were uh, pornographic uh, art and pornographic uh, sculptures. And, and every day they had to walk by those sculptures and walk by that art. And everybody in Ephesus, including those in the church, knew that it was wrong. You see, that idolatry had swept up that city. And everybody that came to Ephesus knew that they were coming to a very dark place where you had false religion, you had humanism, you had man in love with himself. And then in the midst of this, you read this passage to the church at Ephesus. And oh friend, I don't ever want you to get over the fact that the greatest organization in all the world is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read this 35 years previous, Paul has come to this church, or come to this town. He started this church, he's won people to Christ, he's baptized them, he's discipled them. They've grown in their faith. And now, 35 years later, you have what was known as a second Generation Church. You see, they weren't there when the buildings were built. They weren't there when people were excited about being baptized and saved and their lives being put back together. Now there's a church that John writes to moved by the Spirit of God that's been put on autopilot. You see, they had a love and that love one day started out so right. But now that love had gone cold. They had some faithful works, but now those faithful works were being rendered useless because they were doing them with a really bad attitude. Oh, they had regular activities, and boy, they were busy. But there was something wrong inside that church. And when you think about the number one God writing to the church in Ephesus, putting them first, there was something in that church that God himself wanted to deal with. I don't you see something. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 2. Because we see he starts out with a compliment. He compliments his church in verse 2. He starts out by saying, I know thy works. Look at those two, those two words where he said, I know. You see, the fact is, I don't care who you are, where you come from. I can tell you today on the authority of God's word that God knows everything there is to know about you. He knows who's on their way to heaven. 
He, he knows who's on their way to hell. He knows who's been saved. He knows who's lost. He knows who's playing games. He knows who's real. God knows everything there is to know about us. And oh friend, you might fool me, fool the pastor, but I'm telling you, there's coming a day when every one of us are going to stand before the living God. And we're going to give an account of our lives. No, friend, I'm persuaded there's a whole lot of people who are professors in Jesus Christ, but they are not possessors of Jesus Christ. You go to Matthew chapter 7, and the Bible said many. Many to me would be a majority. It says, many will say to me in that day, but Lord, have not we prophesied? But Lord, have not we cast out demons? But Lord, have not we done many mighty miracles? And God himself is going to look at them and say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, friend, do you know? Because if you know, you know that you're saved. How do you know that? The Spirit of God makes residence in your heart and life. And the Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. If you've been saved, you're not ashamed of Jesus. If you've been saved, uh, your life is different. Why? Because you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. And all those things, God knows. God knows you're down sitting. God knows you're uprising. God knows your thought of far off. God knows, hey, he knows who's on their way to heaven. He knows who's on their way to hell. I, uh, I, I was 13. And um, I got to tell you, when I was 13, I'm pretty sure there was plant life smarter than me. Can I just tell you that? Amen, yes. And um, I grew up in the home of a postman, which ought to tell you that I've got mental problems. Can I just tell you that? Amen, yes. You say, what does a flag at half mast at the post office mean? It means they're hiring. Come on, right there. That's what that means, yes. <laughs> and uh, nobody believes this, Brother Tyler, but when I was a kid, we had a weekly rodeo. It had gone for over 50 years where every Friday and Saturday night they'd had a rodeo, and I became enamored with this rodeo. I'm a suburban hype. I don't know anything at all about horses. I don't know anything at all about cows, and I don't know anything at all about cowboy. But I had some buddies, and they were riding bulls. And back then, I didn't know they were, there was a difference between a senior bull and a junior bull, but I was riding what was known as junior bulls. Now, listen, you say, Clark, there is no way looking at you right now that you've ever ridden a bull. You've shot some bull, but you've never ridden any bulls. I'm just telling you, I rode some bulls. Amen. So, um, so we went out one Saturday night to the Cow Bell Indoor Rodeo. And you will understand this in liberal. We called it the Cow Smell Indoor Rodeo. Come on, right there. Amen. Yes. And... Um, we got out there, and we got to looking at our bulls, and we got to looking at what we were going to ride. And I had my buddy Terry Cooper with me, who, by the way, now is a, is a missionary. And uh, Terry Cooper and I were back behind the chutes. We were getting our stuff ready, and I looked up and saw something. And that is that all the other rodeo cowboys that were older than us, that were in the senior bull riding, they were doing something. You say, well, Clark, what were they doing? Every one of these guys was back there smoking a cigarette. Now you say, Clark, are you going to preach against smoking? Listen. You can smoke, but you're going to smell like you came from hell. Can I just tell you how that works? Amen, yes. You can smoke, but you've got to go to hell to get a light. Come on, everybody say amen, yes. So I'm not preaching against smoking. If you smoke, smoke them. I don't care, all right? But they were all back there, and they were smoking. And I said to my friend Terry, I said, Terry, bless God, if they are real rodeo cowboys, and I'm a real rodeo cowboy, then go back there and get us some smokes. Now, I want to tell you, Terry was not too bright himself. He did not come back with one pack of cigarettes or two packs or three packs. Terry came back with four packs of cigarettes, which meant if my math was right, in an hour and a half's time, we had to smoke 80 cigarettes. Can I get an amen right there? So I said, bless God, if they can smoke them one at a time, and you and I are real rodeo cowboys, bless God, you and I are going to smoke them two at a time. Amen. 
So we're back there laying down on those two cigarettes. We're, we get on our bull. We get up on the fence. We're watching the senior section of the bull riding when he and I look up in the crowd and we see the same horrible sight. You say, Brother Clark, what did you see? I saw my mother. That's what I saw up in that crowd. Amen. <laughs> now, I got to tell you something about my mama. My mama is from Oklahoma. God bless all you Okies. But I want to tell you, they didn't read Dr. Spock. They didn't hear about James Dobson. When my mama got mad, she beat you within an inch of your life. Amen. <laughs> so when I saw her in that crowd, I'm telling you, fear ran through my mortal body. And I looked at Terry and said, Terry, there's three things we're going to do. Number one, we're going to deny everything. Number two, we're going to make counter accusations. And number three, if we have to, bless God, we're going to lie. Come on, right there, amen. We get in the car, we start home, and my mom, before we get out of the parking lot, says, hey, you guys stink. My friend Terry from the back seat said, Miss Bosher, we're back there with all them cows. How do you expect us to smell? She said, oh, no, no, no. Not only do you stink, but oh, you stink bad. So we get Terry all the way home. We drop him off. He punches me in the arm. He goes in the house thinking all is done. Oh, no. When we pull off, my mom says, not only do you stink, but you smell like smoke. And I said, well, mom, all those guys back there behind the chutes were back there smoking cigarettes. I guess some of their smoke got on me. She said, I want to ask you a question. She said, were all the other morons back there smoking them two at a time, or was that just you? That's what I'd like to know right here. You know what it dawned on me? Mama knows. Amen. But here's what I know. When you come to this, God's going to give them a compliment. And he starts out by saying, I know, I know thy works. Now listen, don't let that scare you. Come on, amen. Manual labor is not the president of Mexico. Come on, right here, amen. Manual labor means they were working. It means they were serving. It means they were busy. And I just got to tell you this. I'm a pastor now. And I've, I realize there's a lot of people in our church that bless God, if it wasn't for them, we couldn't have services. I got to tell you, praise God for those of you who work with children. If Clark worked with children, our church would be on Fox News next Sunday night. Can I just tell you how that works? But, but there's people back there taking care of the nursery. And there's people back there who are working with kids. And there's people back there that are raising money and, and, and taking the offering. and doing. Hey, everybody has their job. Amen. And by the way, when we were singing a minute ago, you have no clue how talented this church is. I'm talking some good singers. I cannot sing. I'll be singing to myself in my truck and somebody will pull up next to me and go, shh. <laughs> By the way, it's good to see all you kids down here. God bless you. Don't you like the kids down front? Amen, yes. And you look pretty dadgum normal in spite of your youth director. Can I just tell you that? Amen. Sorry about that, T-Bone. Sorry, man. Amen. He married good. Come on. Everybody say amen. Yes. Amen. Hey, everybody has a job. And not everybody can do the same job. Not everybody's going to be the pastor. Not everybody's going to be an evangelist. Hey, I want to tell you something. When you get saved, bless God, God gives you a job to do in the house of God. Amen. He said, I know thy works. He said, I know thy labor. And then he said, I know thy patience. He used that word patience twice. You know what that word patience means? It means not only were they serving, but they were steadfast in that serving. You see, you're going to find out in life that there's a whole lot of people that take off like a bottle rocket. And man, they look good and sound good. And boy, they seem to do everything right. But they fizzle out. You know who makes it in life? It's those that the Bible says endure to the end. I may not be everything in life, but I'll tell you what I can be. I'll tell you what you can be. We can be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, 
It's required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Oh, friend, they had the temple of Diana. They had the forces of hell coming against them. They had people that didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in their church. And he said, man, just keep going and going for the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, if ever there was a time that a church ought to relate to that, it's us now. Why? Because we're living what the Bible said are perilous times. You know what I know about perilous times? You and I are called to be faithful. Well, what is God calling you to do? Well, what ministry does God want you to be a part of? Hey, how does God want to use your life? And by the way, your life will never be used greater than it's used in the house of God. By the way, the Bible said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were serving. They were steadfast. And then the Bible said they were separated. He said, man, there are those that say they're apostles that are not. And you found them liars and is born has patience. And for my name's sake has labored and you have not fainted. I mean, they stood against what was wrong. Listen, there are those that say, Clark, uh, are you a Baptist? Listen, I, I praise God I'm in the Fellowship Baptist Church. Everybody say amen to that. You say, Clark, do you mind being a Baptist? No, I'd like being right. Come on, amen. You say, Clark, if you weren't a Baptist, what would you be? Ashamed. Come on, amen. I like being right. But here were these apostles that claimed to, or claimed to be apostles, and they were liars. Hey, you live in a world where the Bible says you better try those spirits where they be of God. You live in a world where, hey, you can turn on your television and there's some whack job talking about Jesus. You better be glad you're in a church that has right doctrine. Amen. Because there are those in the city of Ephesus. They look good. They sounded good. But they weren't. So he complimented them. Hey, you're serving. Hey, hey, man, you're steadfast. Hey, hey, you're separated from the world. Amen. Now to that compliment, there's a complaint. I want you to look at something. Look at verse 4. Because in verse 4 it says, Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That word nevertheless is a transitional word. He goes from a compliment, now there's a complaint. And if you look at that in the King James, that word somewhat is italicized, and it could literally be rendered like this. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm against you. Were they serving? Yeah. Hey, were they steadfast? Yes. Were they busy? Yes. But you know what he said? You do it from outward appearance. And 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says man looks on the outward appearance, but it says God's looking somewhere else. It says God looks on the heart. And oh, they were busy, and oh, they looked good, but God said, I'm against you. Isn't it amazing how much we can do for the Lord? without really being in love with the Lord. You see, busy doesn't mean, right, busy doesn't mean we're moving. Busy doesn't mean we're, we're acquiring a greater ground. No, listen, here they were. They were serving, they were steadfast, they were preaching, they were doing just what we do in church. But somehow in the midst of all that, with their practice and patience, there was something wrong. You see, they had a purity, but they had no passion. They had a labor, but they had no love. They had duty, but they had no devotion. They had the head, but they'd forgotten the meaning of it. They had no heart. They were serving, but there was no spirit in that serving. They were busy, but busy doesn't equate to spirituality. I, uh, I'll never forget, I, uh, when I surrendered to preach, I was a, a junior in high school. And I got to tell you, I, when I was a kid, 
I had what was known as A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. And again, they did not preach or teach or, or take care of that with drugs. They took care of that with a belt. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. And it was always crazy to me, kids. My mom and dad, they would whip you, and they would say two of the dumbest things I've ever heard in life. They'd say, hey, this whipping is going to hurt me more than what? How many know that's a lie? Come on, let me say, yes. And then they would say, I'm going to give you a whipping, but the reason I'm giving you this whipping is because I love you. And I'm like, yeah, I love you too. Lay on the bed and let me beat you for a while. All right, let's share that. Amen. And, and so when I was in school, I mean, I, mean, I was wild. I, people passed me from grade to grade because they didn't want me again. Come on. Where <laughs> And uh, so, so I, I'll never forget, I, I'm wrestling with the fact that I'm supposed to preach. And I don't tell my parents, I don't tell my big brother, I don't tell my big sister, I don't go to my youth director, I don't go to my pastor. I don't, I just, for a year I start listening to preaching tapes and I start witnessing to my friends. And I just know that God's calling me and I'm not sure what that call means. And I'll never forget, uh, one Saturday night. I knelt down by my bed and said, God, I'm tired of wrestling with this. I don't want to fight with this anymore. God, I don't understand it, but if you're calling me, I- I'm going to surrender. And so the next Sunday morning, I walked down, I walked down. My pastor was standing down front during the invitation. I'll never forget this, Brother Tyler. I walked down there and I said, uh, Dr. Oldham, I said, um, God has called me to preach. I'll never forget his response. He said, God's done what? <laughs> I said, he called me to preach. He said, Clark, if God calls you to preach... God will equip you to what he's called you to do. I've never forgotten. He he could have said, oh, no, you couldn't do that. Oh, you can't pass your classes. Oh, no, you're too wild to do that. Hey, when he saw that, he said, you always stay close to God. His wife walked up to me that afternoon, and she put her arms around me. And she said, Clark, she said, listen, the devil's going to mug you, and the devil's going to attack you, and he's going to try and get you to do stuff in the flesh. But always remember, a spirit-filled preacher is what you always want to be. You know what I found out? I found out you can get your routine down in religion. Hey, you can get your routine down in in the ministry. Listen, I I was an evangelist uh, for 15 years. When I was in Bible college, I can remember, man, we we would study classes, and I couldn't wait until the day I got to serve God. And I got to tell you, I was was not in Bible college too long until, man, I got busy serving and and, and busy studying. And before long, I I was out of touch with God. I went into evangelism. Uh, I've flown almost 2 million miles on American Airlines. You think that flying would make you right with God. Come on, right there. Amen, yes. I mean, it says, low. I'm with the always. Come on, amen. And by the way, have you noticed when you get on those planes, they say some stupid stuff? Come on, everybody say amen to that. If in the unlikely event. Well, if it's unlikely, why are you bringing it up before we take off? Come on, amen. <laughs> if in the unlikely event this plane should be in the belly roll at 35,000 feet, there'll be a yellow mask that'll fall from the sky. Please take that mask. Please place it over your mouth. And I love this. And please breathe normally. <laughs> How many know if the plane is belly rolling at 35,000 feet, we ought to be able to suck all the air we want? Come on, amen. <laughs> and I think they ought to get rid of that uh, oxygen and get you that stuff down there at the dentist office, that nitrous oxide. Amen. <laughs> hey, the wing fell off. I don't care. I don't care. It's good to be here for my first and last time. God bless you for inviting me, Pastor. I appreciate that. But man, you get out here and get going, and, and, I'm, and I'm a pastor now. And I got to tell you, you you've, had, you've had the best pastor in Bill Prater. You've got the best pastor in Tyler. Praise God, you've got, I'm, a, I'm not a good pastor. I mean, I've got people in my church, I'm praying they'll leave. Can I just tell you how that works? Amen. 
I had a lady the other day come up to me and say, hey, my husband and I are praying about leaving the church. I said, honey, I've been praying about you leaving the church. Amen, yes. Your pastors never pray those kind of prayers. Can I, amen, they don't. But, 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 but I look back and I think, you know what? You can do all of this stuff. And you can get so busy. You know what happens? You don't love Jesus anymore. Hey, nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against thee. You know what that word left means? It means they had utterly forsaken Jesus. Not that they weren't busy, not that they weren't in church, not that they weren't looking good, but they had forsaken Jesus. I uh, was in a mission conference in Missouri, and there was a missionary there who had gone to Russia right after the doors of Russia had been opened. He said, Clark, he said, man, one day, he said, we passed out a thousand Russian New Testament. He said, in 10 minutes, he said, those New Testaments were gone. And he said, I watched those people grab that Bible, and man, they sat all around Red Square, and he said, they couldn't get enough of it, and people were looking over their shoulders, and do you have any more? He said, and one of the guys that was a veteran missionary said, come on, Brother Paul, we're going to go out to the bush. He said, we got in his Jeep, we drove three hours out there. He said, when we got there, there was an old clapboard, beat up church. He said, and two hours before the service was to start, it was jam-packed. He said, the missionary looked at me and said, come on, Brother Paul, you preach. They'll, they'll leave. We'll get another crowd. We'll preach to them. He said, I started preaching on the cross. And he said, I, I never preached through an interpreter. And he said, I would talk about the cross. And I'd talk about the suffering and shame and how, how they beat Jesus till he was unrecognizable. He said, then he would interpret. And he said, somewhere in the midst of me preaching on the cross, he said, the missionary tapped me and said, Brother Paul, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, Clark, he said, those people were no longer seated on the back of those pews. They were no longer seated in those windows. They were no longer seated in those aisles. He said, those people were laying on each other like cordwood. He said, they were sobbing. And he said, I don't mean they were kind of crying. He said, I mean they were wailing. He said, I looked at that missionary and said, what is this? And the missionary said, Brother Paul, for some of these people, it's the first time they've ever heard about Jesus dying in their place. Brother Tyler, I went back to my room that night. I didn't turn on the television. I didn't get a magazine. I didn't read my Bible. I sat on the edge of my bed amazed. You know why? Because you get, you get in some churches, and buddy, you get towards lunch, and everybody's checking their watch. Hey, hey, preacher, do we have to come back Sunday night? Preacher, do we have to come back Wednesday night? Hey, you know what the problem is? The problem is that we don't know about Jesus. The problem is that we've gotten over Jesus. We've done just what they did in the book of, Ephesus, or, 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 or in the book of Revelation with the church in Ephesus. They, they had left. They had utterly forsaken Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, here's the question. Could God compliment you on your service? Could God compliment you being steadfast? Hey, hey could God compliment you? on staying with the stuff. But all friend, would God, if he gave a public testimony like he did about this church, would God have to say, I've got a complaint. You're busy, but you've utterly forsaken my son. You see, there's a compliment. There's a complaint, but then there's a command. Praise God, God never leaves us where we're at. Come on, amen. Look at verse five, three things. Verse 5, he says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember. Psychologists say that the greatest tool that we have is our minds, and the greatest thing that our mind does is it will call things to memory. 
They say that, that the average man and woman uses less than 10% of their mind. But they say the one thing we can know for sure is that God gives us a memory. God gives us the idea that we can call back facts. And so here John on the Isle of Patmos, John speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that word, remember. And I am persuaded that all of us ought to every day or at some time for sure during the week, we ought to go back to that day, time, and place in our life when we met Jesus as Savior and Lord. I, um, I was 13. Uh, we, were, we were loading up one week to go to camp. And um, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, uh, I don't think I'm going to camp. My dad started laughing. My dad said, pal, if you think we're going to get out of a week without you, you guess again, you're going to camp. Come on, right? Amen, you're going. So, so we loaded up in Grand Prairie, Texas. Uh, we went to Silver State Youth Camp. It's supposed to be an 18-hour trip, Brother Bill, but on a church bus, that means 39 hours. Do I have a witness on that? Yeah, yes. And by the way, we didn't have these air-conditioned buses. We didn't have restrooms on those buses. Uh, we didn't have TVs on those buses. No, when we got on those buses, it got hot. And if you wanted to cool off, you hung your head out the window like a puppy. Come on, right there. Amen, yes. And we drove. And listen, it's about 3 or 4 in the morning. There's this girl by the name of Gina Hastings. She decides she is tired of her hot Dr. Pepper. So she, three windows up, pours that Dr. Pepper out her window. It comes back inside my window. Do I have witness in here? Amen. I was not saved at the time, and bless God, I told her I didn't like it. Can I just tell you that? Amen. We got to camp at Silver State, and we're up there, and I mean it is. It's, I'm, I'm, I've never been in the altitude. I'm a, I'm a low plains guy in Texas, and, and I've never been up there in the Rocky Mountains. And We get up there, and the first night, had they have told me this, I wouldn't have gone. I'd, I'd have hopped the bus, but on the first night, they gave us a shot for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. How many of you know that's not on the brochure? Come on right there. Amen. So, so then we get up there that night, and there's this guy by the name of K.P. He's the camp director, K.P. Smith. And I want to tell you something. If he were living today, he'd be in jail because he was a dictator to kids. Come on, right there. Amen. We ate family style. And we got up one Wednesday, and I've had enough. I've written my brother a letter. I said, oh, Mike, please come get me. These people are crazy. Please come get me. So on Wednesday morning, we get up, and K.P., who feeds his family style, says, hey, you're up here in the cool mountain air. You're up here in the Rockies in this altitude. And he said, you need something to help you. I have no idea what he's talking about. But he said this morning, we're not going to eat pancakes. We're not going to eat bacon and eggs. This morning, you're going to get a, 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 a glass of milk or, or, or a case of milk. And you're also going to get two prunes. How many know I didn't like it? Come on right there. Amen. Come on, everybody say amen. So he gives us those two prunes. I drink my milk. I put those two prunes in that carton. I go over to throw it away. KP sees what I've done. He makes me get them out and eat them anyway. Come on right there. Amen. And so I get up that night. It's Wednesday. And they announce, we're down here where you good kids are sitting. And they say, KP Smith is going to be preaching tonight. Well, I got up from where you're at. I moved to the back where you heathens are sitting. Come on right there. Amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and, and sure enough, he gets up and gets to preaching. And about 10, 15 minutes into it, I say, I'm not going to put up with this. But somehow, Brother Tyler, I get mesmerized by this guy. He, he runs around. He's preaching. He's going up and down the aisles. And I mean, I cannot take my eyes off of this guy. They give the invitation. That invitation goes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And finally, KP says, look, we're going to sing one more verse. He said, I know everybody's up. But we're going to sing one more verse because there's somebody out here. 
I don't know who you are, but I know this. I know God won't take you off my heart because you need to be saved. They started singing that verse. They got down to that chorus. They got down to the last part of that chorus. I said, I can't take this anymore. I let go. I started down that aisle. And I got to tell you, what I thought was going to be the longest and worst walk of my life turned out to be the shortest and best walk I was ever going to make. KP was a little guy. Put his hands on my shoulders. He said, hey, buddy. He said, I've been praying for you. I said, I know. I wish you'd stop. You are getting on my nerves, man. You are. I didn't say that part. I made it up. I made it up. Amen. He said, you need to get saved. I got saved. I went back to school the next year, Tyler. And about six weeks in, one of the teachers came to me and she said, come here. She said, is this your report? Is this you from last year? I said, it is. She said, you're not the same guy that they wrote about last year. She said, what happened to you this summer? I said, I'll tell you what happened. I went to camp and ate two prunes and those things will change your life. I'll tell you what happened. I didn't say that neither. I lied. Amen. I said, hey, man, I got saved. I got over a lot of things in life. But I'll tell you what I've never gotten over. I've never gotten over meeting Jesus, the Savior and Lord of my life. Remember. And then it says, and repent. You know what we don't like to hear, Brother Bill? We don't like to hear we're wrong. We don't like to hear that, hey, we're the ones that messed up. Hey, we don't like to hear about our sin. But here's what that word repent means. It means to have a sharp break with evil. If you're not right with God, I got news for you. God was not the one who moved. It was us. Hey, that's why the Bible said if you'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. He wasn't the one who moved away. It was we who moved away. He says, remember, hey, hey, can you go back? Can you go to that daytime and place in your life and say, boy, here's where I met Jesus? You say, well, I, I don't know. I've always been in church. You know, I got baptized as a kid, and I went to confirmation class. I want to tell you something. You can be religious today and wake up in hell. The question is, have you met Jesus? Do you know that you're saved? If you died today, do you know that you're going to heaven? Listen, if I ask you your address, you know it. If I ask you your phone number, you know it. If I ask you your birthday, you know it. Well, do you know you're going to heaven? Do you know you know Jesus? He says, remember. Then he says, repent. And then he says, repeat. Now listen to me. It's easy as a believer to get so busy in life that the Bible and the things of God and the house of God that they get put on the back burner. Oh, we've got jobs, and we've got games, and well, we've got to cut the grass, and well, we've got to get the homework done. Hey, it's easy. It's easy to be so busy that we leave and forsake Jesus. He says, go back. He says, if you want to get right with God, remember that day you got saved. We, we weren't looking for God, praise God. He was looking for us. Amen. He says, repent. If there's something not right in your life, repent. Have a sharp break with evil. And then he says, and get up and go do it again. And go back and do the first works. And then he says this, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. i tell you this and I'm done. I, uh, I was reading in a magazine about a guy that at the time was world famous. His name was Gianni Versace. As a matter of fact, I was at the mall the other day and there's a Versace shop. And... Uh, Johnny Versace, according to this article, uh, was, was giving what was known as his last interview. And in this last interview, uh, they asked him about his fame, they asked him about his money, they asked him about his lifestyle, and I didn't know a whole lot about him, I really didn't know anything about him, but then they came to two questions that intrigued me. They said, Mr. Versace, 
do you believe in God and do you believe in the hereafter? And Mr. Versace said, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. You, you know I believe in God. Every night I kneel down by my bed and every night I pray. And yeah, I believe there's a real heaven and a real hell. And they said, Mr. Versace, you believe in God? You, Mr. Versace, with your lifestyle, you believe in Jesus? And Mr. Versace said, oh, no, 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 I, no, I, it's not that I believe in Jesus. Because you see, if I were God and Jesus were my son, knowing style and knowing flavor and knowing flair, I would never allow my son to live 30 years in obscurity. At the end of that 30 years, I would never let him be abused. I'd never let him be mocked. Hey, and I surely wouldn't let my son be put on a cross. Why would God put his son on a cross? He said, so you're asking me if I believe in Jesus. He said, well, the answer is no. That article had already been written, but it was being printed two days after Mr. Versace walked up to one of his three Miami mansions, opened up the front door, and a guy who had some sort of problem with him pulled a gun and unloaded that gun to Mr. Versace, and Mr. Versace dropped in that doorway and died. I'm reading that article, and Mr. Versace is already in eternity. And you know what I thought, Brother Tyler? I thought, I bet he believes in Jesus now. Hey, I, I, I bet he understands who he is. I bet he understands, hey, he was our scapegoat, that he came to die in our place. Listen to me. You're not going to go to heaven because you're good. And you're not going to go to heaven because you're a member of a church. And you're not going to go to heaven because you've come to confirmation class. You go to heaven one way, and that's by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the question. You can sit there, and old brother Clark will never know. By all accounts, your pastor, Brother Todd, he may never know. But I'm telling you, God knows. I told my family, I, 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 you can ask them. When we were driving to church, I said, I'll tell you, I don't know what's going on, but I know this, God's going to do something big today. You know what that something big may be? That you as a sinner find Jesus as your Savior. The best day of your life is that day when you meet Jesus. You say, what do you got to do? You're going to embarrass us? You're going to ask us silly questions? No, no. Somebody's going to take the inner and infallible preserved word and show you from that how you can know Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. You walked in here on your way to hell, praise God. You can walk out on your way to heaven. Hallelujah. And for Christians, it may be that you've utterly forsaken Jesus. You need to remember that day you got saved. You need to repent of whatever it is that gets in the way of God. And hey, you need to go back and do the first works. Get in your Bible. Get faithful to church. Hey, start praying again. Hey, be a witness. Hey, hey, start all over again. Or else, or else, I will come unto thee quickly and will move thy candlestick out of this place. Would you bow your heads for just a moment?